Our scripture reading this morning is Numbers 6. If you just look at the chapter before that, you see that uh, large part of chapter 5, second, second half, talks about the unfaithful wife. And that's a, a contrast to what we read about in our text, which is the in our passage, and that's the Nazarite. Number six, we read God's word. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to, to separate himself to the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall sh shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned by reason of the dead body. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year, without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire 
which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. Besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide, according to the vow which he takes, so that he must do according to the law of the separation. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So our text is those final verses where the Lord instructs Moses to instruct Aaron to pronounce this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, so shall they put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the time of our text, Israel is at Mount Sinai in the desert, the wilderness. They left Egypt about a, a year earlier, and they have spent this wonderful time at Sinai where they received the law and instructions for holy living, and the tabernacle was built. It was just about done, which meant in a few days they would leave Mount Sinai and they would head for the promised land. What a journey that would be. Not an easy one. Traveling through a, a desert, blazing hot days, freezing nights, get scorpions and poisonous snakes. Who knows if you're going to, to find any, any water or, or food. Also, the women would continue to have babies. So as they traveled along, you had these babies and these toddlers that you had to take care of. Of course, everyone they met was out to kill them, to stop them from making it to the land of Canaan, to the promised land. That's why it's, it's so beautiful to know and to read in our text that every morning before they set out, Every morning there would be the sacrifices and the Lord would pronounce this blessing. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, and, and so on. The Lord made very clear, you belong to me, I belong to you. I will guide you every day with a cloud. Nothing will separate you from my love. So you can face tremendous danger when you know that the Lord is with you. Of course, we have that today as well. We're not tra traveling through a, a, a literal desert, but much of life is like a wilderness. We're living in a world which is constantly out to, to undermine our faith and to live a, an unholy lifestyle. And if you resist them, 
you're going to get pressure from the world. There's an unbelievable pressure on Christians today. Basically, we're, we're pronounced as being totally out of touch with reality, and we actually don't have any business being involved in society. How good it is to know we're not alone. The Lord is with us. He's like a cloud that travels with us, a pillar of fire. And he says, nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, we're going to look at that this morning under this theme. The Lord graciously smiles upon his children, and we'll see who gives the blessing, what is the blessing, and how to receive the blessing. Now, we mentioned that Israel received this blessing every morning. And we understand that the, uh, the Lord instructed Moses to instruct Aaron the high priest, and after him his sons and his grandsons who would become the high priests, to pronounce this blessing. And we actually know a lot about how that would occur every day. We, we see in Leviticus 9 verse 22 that then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. So when Aaron pronounced the blessing, he was actually on the altar of burnt offering. That's about four and a half feet tall. He was standing on the altar, or at least the platform right beside it. He just done the sacrifice. His hands were covered with blood. And he turned to the people with the blood in his hands, and he pronounced the blessing of the Lord. And I'm sure right away you see a lot of significance in what was on his hands, what had just occurred. Now, of course, Aaron is just the spokesman. He doesn't give literally the blessing. The Lord himself does that. And the Lord said to, to Moses, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. And then we read, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It is the Lord who gives the blessing. And if you look at the text, you look at the Lord there, it's always in capital letters, which means in, in Hebrew you have the name Yahweh. We know from Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, Yahweh means this is the great I am. I am who I am. This is the infinite, eternal God who is Emmanuel, God with us. God who is there for his people. God who is never absent. God who takes care of them. It is God who brings his blessing on his people. And in case we didn't get it, the Lord ends by saying, I, and some translations have this, I myself will bless them. It's the Lord who blesses his people. And the sense that you get from this is that the Lord wants to do this. He likes to do this. People don't ask for it. They certainly don't deserve it but it is God in his grace, in his undeserved favor, who longs to come to his people and give them his blessing. That's also really personal, because when, when it says there, the Lord bless you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, it's the singular pronoun for you. That means 
on the Sunday when we hear this blessing, because we hear this blessing every Sunday, right? You know that. It's familiar, right? We hear this blessing every Sunday, but the Lord is speaking to us as a congregation, but also personally. Every man or woman, every teenager, every boy and girl knows that God is saying to you, God is saying to me, I bless you. My face smiles on you. I bring a river of peace down on you. So also as a boy, a girl, a teenager, someone going to college or university, I know that this week God is with me personally, never absent, never leaving me alone, never leaving me in an intense danger. He is always there with me and for me. Now, we might wonder why why there's such an emphasis on the Lord blesses that it is He and He alone who gives His blessing. Well, there's a reason for that, and that's um, that we tend to look for blessings in all the wrong places. Israel sure did that. I mean, here's God who brings them out of Egypt to Sinai, is going to bring them to the promised land. Amazing God, uh, organizing his people as, as his people of Israel, as covenant people. But what do we read in Exodus 33, when uh, Exodus 32, when Moses is up in the mountain, the people say to Aaron, make us gods from the gold of Egypt. And then Aaron says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So every morning, when Aaron's giving the blessing, and the blood is dripping from his hands. You know whose blood ultimately that is. And God has turned towards his people, his face shining on them. People go, whatever. We want other gods that we can see and hold and manipulate. They turn their backs on God whose face was smiling upon them. And brothers and sisters, we, we can do the, the very same thing. We're sitting here so beautiful and so happy and thankful. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But what's going on in our hearts and in, in, in our minds? Are we thinking as most of the world is thinking about material things and about money? What makes you happy? What makes you tick? Is it the blood of Jesus, or is it that next thing that we want to acquire? Now think of our emotional state. When we, when we think of the things of this world, we have this eagerness and this hunger to, to acquire something. And when we get it, that new car, that new computer, flush of enjoyment, and then, then we live in fear of the first scratch that we're going to get on it, or the payments we can't make because interest rates are going up. How shallow, how dumb is that when we've got a God who doesn't get scratches, who doesn't devalue, who's not unapproachable, but a God who says to sinners, I love you. You're my child forever. For you, I have a new heaven and a new earth. Where do we seek our blessing, brothers and sisters? Is it not in this God who gives himself so freely and so generously to make us his children and not let anything separate us from his love? Now let's look a little more closely at what this blessing is. 
One thing you notice about our, our text is that it's very poetic and it's, it's very fluid in the sense that it builds up in volume like a waterfall. The Lord bless you and keep you. Beautiful water coming over the edge. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's picking up in volume and speed. And then finally the crescendo. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you shalom. That living water comes crashing down and fills our souls and fills our hearts. What an amazing God we have. He says to us, the Lord bless you and keep you. To understand those words, we can think of what we sang in Psalm 121. We read saying there, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the psalm goes on to describe how the Lord keeps us, how he holds us, how he protects us. And it says the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The Lord's always keeping us. He's always watching us. Is your foot slipping? Stop. It's not going to happen, says the Lord. Are you getting sunstroke? I will be your shade. And this is real, brothers and sisters. You know, you can be in the hospital with some terrible ailment, and you can see on the faces of the doctors and the nurses, this is not good, not a good situation. And yet you feel the hand of the Lord in your shoulder. You feel his presence, and you sense God saying, we're going to go through this together. You're not alone. I'm not saying there's going to be no trouble, but I am saying whatever trouble you have, I bear it with you. I will take care of you. It's going to work out well. And you know, ultimately, I will wipe away the tears from your eyes and I will bring you into the new Jerusalem. The blessing picks up when it then says, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Do you sense what that means, that the face of God is turned toward you and smiles on you? David writes about that in Psalm 17. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. For David, that's the greatest blessing imaginable, that God's face is turned toward him. He sees God. He sees the righteousness and the holiness and the love of his God. Indeed, that's intensified in the third statement. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. To understand this might be good to take an example. If as a child you're sitting in the family room and your dad walks into the room, there's nothing so beautiful and amazing that dad looks and smiles at you, his son or his daughter. I think it has to be devastating for a child when dad walks in the room and he looks away. That, 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 tears families and, and relationships apart. But that's not our God. When he walks into the room, in a manner of speaking, right away he sees us. And he lifts his face up on us. And he smiles at us. This is a father who loves us. This is a father who, who adores us. And we feel special. We feel loved by this God and, and, and this 
this father. And peace flows down like a river. And, and this word peace, shalom, doesn't just mean physical peace, but it's peace mentally and, and spiritually and eternally. Our Heidelberg Catechism explains this so beautifully in Lord's Day 1 when it speaks about our only comfort. What is my comfort? What is my peace? That body and soul, in life and death, I belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate me from the love of God. God seals this when he says, you're mine. I put my name upon you. You belong to me, and I belong to you. Now let's pause here for a second. We understand that Moses is receiving all this from God, and he's to pass on the instruction to Aaron, the high priest. But Moses, I'm sure, couldn't help but think it wasn't that long ago in Exodus 33 that he said to God, can I see your face? God says, you can't. I'll show you something, but not my face. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So you can imagine that Moses is thinking, God wouldn't show me his face, but now God is saying to the whole people, my face shines upon you. My, my face, my countenance is lifted upon you. How's that possible? The answer lies in a story that is as old as history, as old as the world is itself. When Adam and Eve were created and they walked with God in the garden, they walked as friends. David says in Psalm 25 about God. He, he is he's my God. He's also my friend. Adam and Eve walked with God. They saw the face of God. There was, there was, there was nothing held back. Then they fell into sin. And God withdrew his face and threw them out of the Garden of Eden. There were even cherubim, a flaming sword that prevented them from coming back. Brothers and sisters, it's become because of our sins and our sinful nature that we cannot be in the presence of God. We cannot see the face of God. So how in the world can the Lord now pronounce this, this blessing? And the context helps us to understand that. We read all of number six, and we read there about the Nazarite. The Nazarite is a holy person, whole life dedicated to God. But in the passage just before that, we read about the unfaithful wife. You cannot get a, a bigger contrast than that. The unfaithful wife and the Nazarite. And now I ask myself the question, who am I more like? The Nazarite or the unfaithful wife? I'll tell you, I'm nothing like the Nazarite. I am not a holy man dedicated to God in all I think, say, and do. I am more like the unfaithful wife. And as you know, in the Old Testament, Israel was often called the unfaithful wife of God. So how can God bless his people? How can he still bless us today? And here's the gospel in our text. Everything in our text, this whole blessing, just points us straight to Jesus Christ. God's son who was born as a man, born born our brother. He, he was a Nazarite. He was truly holy. There was nothing sinful in him. The Father adored him. On two occasions, he said of Jesus Christ, This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. 
But then Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself. The Father didn't smile on him anymore. He withdrew and poured his wrath and his justice on his own son. Darkness descended on him. He was brought to the open doors of hell. He screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the Nazarite became the unfaithful wife. He took our sins on himself so that he could wash us clean in his blood and make us righteous, make us holy. That beautiful bride of Christ, that beautiful wife of God, it is in Jesus Christ and it's in his blood. You know, that that God is gracious to us and he can turn toward us and have this beautiful, blessed relationship with us. And you might think, well, how how do those people back in the day, you know, time of our text, Israel at Mount Sinai, did they understand all this? They understood all right. Maybe not fully like we do. They understood because the blessing was given after the sacrifice. But Aaron turned around. And he lifted his hands with the blood still dripping. And people understood it's not the blood of bulls and goats that takes away sin. It's the blood of the coming Savior. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. In that blood, they saw the blood of the cross. They saw the blood that washes away sin. The blood that makes them whole. And the blood that brings God with his face shining upon his people. Paul speaks about this so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 3 and and 4, where he talks about that it's in the face of Jesus that we see the face of God. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do I see the face of God? How do I really, really know his face is turned toward Toward me. I see it in the face of Jesus Christ. As he was ascending into heaven, he lifted up his hands. The holes were still being healed from his crucifixion. He says, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Brings us to our, our final point. And that's a very personal point, very personal question. Are you sure? That God's face is turned toward you. That his countenance is lifted on you. That you have peace. That you have shalom. And that you belong to him. And we might say, you know, of course. Look, we're here this morning. Sitting here in this church building listening to a sermon. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's a can be a very dangerous uh, attitude, brothers and sisters. Because our presence here and our going to Lord's Supper can be our, our condemnation. Doesn't mean anything all by, all by itself. You know, our text doesn't say the Lord blesses you, the Lord keeps you, but it speaks as a promise. Commentators are, are generally agreed that it would be perfectly fine to translate our text in this way. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is a covenant God. There's no automatic blessing. He calls for faith. He calls for hands that that reach out for the promises of God. 
What he wants is a people to say, Jesus died for me. That's my treasure. That's what's written on my heart. It's what's written on my soul. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus loves me. And I hold on to him. Brothers and sisters, it's when we hold on to our Lord Jesus Christ like that, that's when God turns his face toward us and pours out his blessings upon us. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. We were called to examine ourselves. And that examination basically comes down to this. Is Jesus your everything? Is he your Lord and your Savior? What a, an amazing God we have. Every, every Sunday, when we come to the end of the worship service, the minister lifts up, lifts up, lifts up his hands upon us. And what we see is the hands of God. And what we see is the, the hands of Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. What we see is the hands of Jesus as he was ascending into heaven, putting his hands over us and say, you, my people, who love me, who believe in me, I bless you, I keep you, I make my face shine upon you and be gracious to you, I turn my face towards you and give you peace. Amen.